Maury had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Sure, America's yeah, nice. America. The Blubbity Bar. Sending out good vibes. He's the only one who survived. He was 11 in the snow and ice. And these are like granite cliffs, you know, with ice chutes. He had to make his way down safely. When he finally got down kind of to more flat land, it was all covered with snow. The only way he was found is because a woman thought she had heard a plane crash. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with friend of the show, David Matheson, personal buddy of mine. One of my favorite all-time guests, just because we ended up being good friends after. We ended up not seeing... Not just because that. Well, because he's a great guest. Yeah. That's what I meant to say, not just because. That's right. right. Thanks. Okay. Thanks to Blue Blocker Boy. Um, of course, we ended up synchronistically seeing the uh, Great American Eclipse about 10 miles from each other, but never actually met up. And it's too bad, because it would have been good to get stuck in the traffic and camp on the side of the road with a guy that can tell you a bunch of star myths. First, as always, we got blue blocker, blue blocker Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Good, good. What's you up? You took with off that your one? glasses. Did I, These I, aren't blue blockers. Oh, no, I wouldn't wear them. I, I need to stay awake for this. I don't no, want. It's just that's. I thought it was weird. I you want the blue, blue light to keep me up here. There's blue light coming at you from all yeah. over the place. Got a long night ahead. You got hockey. I got hockey later on. I'm still not quite talking properly. Really? How's your, so a little update on the tooth thing. Let's see. You got you got another new antibiotic. Any Percocets this time? Or no Percocets. No? Were you joking about that, or I don't think you. I didn't joking. ask for Percocets this time because I'm just getting antibiotics. <clears throat> so we up the antibiotics. So doesn't your wife intervene at this point and try and push something natural on you? Well, she's got all the uh, probiotics and stuff for me to take during the antibiotics um, <laughs> to keep my gut biome in good shape. But it's tough because I've taken a lot of antibiotics, so it's really just like... Hasn't given you any side effects yet? Like, it's best to just... Well, actually, I was pretty drowsy yesterday Yeah, because I had to start with two stat. So I'd take two as soon as I came out of the dentist after working all day and... So this is your third round of antibiotics? This is my third round of and antibiotics. And it's like double strength? Like... Isn't These are a new one. These are. So, what do they say? What do they say when this doesn't work? Like you've tried, you've tried the whole thing, right? I mean, isn't there something wrong with this? Picture? I don't know. I'm trying not to think of that yet. I was just like, listen, man, I'm going to the states, and I don't want to have to go to the fucking doctor because of my mouth. Well, first he's like, oh no, I'm sure it's just a little sore. It shouldn't be infected anymore. And then, sure enough, more antibiotics. It's still still pretty swollen. Feels better today with the antibiotics. I yeah, should have went to the naturopathic dentist that we suggested, you know? Well, I am going to him. Too late? Eventually. Too late. What do you think he would have done? I told you already. You would have taken a blood, taken your blood, put it in the centrifugal What about the infection machine? The and then he would have popped that gelatin of your white blood cells and your stem cells well, into great. your Next hole time. so We're that it would have actually though. healed We're completely, that, like though. all the way. Already past that. Into your brain. I know you're way past that. Maybe you could do it now. Maybe you could still put it in your hole. Easy. <laughs> Maybe you can still like spin you around, spin your blood around, and you are getting out separate of all your cells and stick it in your hole. The platelets. 
Maybe. I mean, I got to make an appointment there for the kids soon anyway, so I'll ask them. But right now, it's I'm just, too late now. You only got like five days left. It's too late. I'm really just hoping this round of antibiotics knocks whatever infection is there out. Because if this doesn't do it, I fuck. Can't be good. Did you do you know what some of the side effects are from those things? No, I don't want like to get yeast into it. infections and shit like that. And you haven't been dry anywhere, have you lately? Dry, yeah. like in my butthole? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no. I, but I'm like I say, they're just hard on the guts. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's better than having a sore mouth. But what about just <clears throat> doing it some other way, like garlic and onion? Like and, honestly, uh, it seems like it's been like five I'm, weeks now. That I had a sore mouth. Yeah. That's just like, it's I just want to wrap my head off yeah, the wall. it's getting old, yeah. It's getting old. Feels good today, though. Okay, good. Let's, well, let's hope this is the last. I mean, these fucking dentists just want to fight you every step of the way. I, I honestly, I can't even believe it. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, hey, let's price out the bridges. And he's like, well, now let's do implants. Oh, yeah. No, no. You, you start asking about the question, like how much those cost? It's crazy. You can't, you can't even afford it. I mean... I'm just like, like we got a little bit of insurance that covers, like I'm already at almost done just from the little work that I had. My insurance is covered right now. I'm still paying 50%. Anyways, people are going to get sick of the dentist talk, but it is interesting because you've been paying for five weeks, but this is going to end up costing me a fortune. So what do you say about the implants? I mean, that's just crazy talk. I was just like, I don't know if I like the implant thing. He's like, oh, it's okay. We'll talk about it later. He's an Australian guy. Actually, I think he's originally Korean. So he's like a Korean Australian. That now lives in Canada. Wow. Dr. Coco. Actually, I guess Coco would <laughs> did, be. Did he give you a quote for the... No, I said to price it out and send it to my insurance companies and see they, what they, they say. They won't... <laughs> they're just going to let it go right on by. They won't yeah. touch that stuff. No? No. I mean... It, Not the max... implants. What about the bridges? I thought they did 50% of bridges. Yeah, 2,000 two a year max. So yeah, you but just that get bridge, a bridge and... be like, I can't see it being more than two grand. Uh, yeah. It's just like a big crown. It could be. Yeah. We need a dentist in the community. Just go to Mexico. You know what we gotta Why don't do? we do a Great America trip to Mexico next time? We'll just get our we'll teeth redone go to a dentist. There. Yeah. <laughs> Send us your Mexican dentist. <laughs> or if you're a local Calgary dentist and you need a podcast, maybe we could work something out. You know, we should talk to your buddy, the dentist. I know. I, maybe we know. can get him podcasting. We get free dental. Yeah, you can do our experiments. Just, just experiment he, on us. You can experiment on you. Mostly. Take out those old root canals if you really think they're infecting things. Yeah, but you got to replace it with something. Because the problem with mine is two of my root canals are these front two bad boys right here. Oh, boy. I smashed them out on my BMX. Did you? <laughs> so you start, uh, you know, I'm not pulling those out. What do they say about the x-rays? Because they can, they can supposedly tell if they're infected with those black spots on the x-rays. Yeah, the only infection I've got is there. On the other side, yeah. yeah. And I know I'm still ha supposed to have an extraction as well, and I, I'm just putting it off. It was not which one, bottom oh, bottom left. It is not a fun experience, dude. I'm telling you, I swear it wasn't so bad last time, but that was when I was still like, I mean, the last time I got a tooth pulled, and this root canal and stuff is from like t 10, 12 years ago when I was still just drinking all the time and not taking care of myself at all. Like I say that last dude just like pop, popped right out. Cause my mouth was so fucked. But this one, like buddy was going at it, man. It took an hour. It's like pulling, grinding, cutting it into pieces. Why prying, don't you get hypnotized? 
Hey, we talked to that our guy there, the guest a couple of weeks back. These guys looked Mesmer, at me like I was crazy. Mesmer, Mesmer used to hypnotize people, I think. These guys look surgery like, on their stomach and stuff, and they're just awake, hypnotized. These guys look at me like I'm crazy when I question Rukinov. Did they give so you now, fluoride? Did they try to give you called fluoride? Me, they called Has me. Type of oh, yeah. still giving you fluoride? Lisa got in a big fight with him last time over the fluoride. Oh, yeah. Well, these guys are still using it. I'm like, I don't want fluoride in my teeth. I like to be there for that kind of stuff. I know that'd be funny eh? because should... because I'm I'm pretty good at poking around. Like I'm 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 uh, I'm not shy in that situation to push back a little bit. I got to go see this root canal specialist again now. <laughs> they call me today to try and book an appointment with with her. That lady I got in a fight with last time. You go, don't you know fluoride's on the top ten like Lancet for neurotoxins? Yeah, this is the Lancet. <laughs> this is your respected journal guy guy <laughs> and he knows it's serious he's like whoa what's a good australian slur i can drop in there and mate, I, mate he seems like a nice enough guy mate you gotta use mate that's uh he's that's not slurry enough times. they're behind the time these dentists anyway i'm gonna go see your guy soon enough yeah well he should see he'll come on the podcast man he's he, he knows all the stuff Get him on the show. Well, you you go see him, and, and then and then, get, and then we'll see if we can bamboozle him. Yeah, some maybe we get some get some experimental stuff done. Do you need to experiment on some bridges and crowns and new technology? You need to talk about it on the show and yeah. get you in there and get your holes filled. Graham Dunlop getting his holes filled since '87. <laughs> <laughs> so hockey tonight? How do you how can you have hockey tonight when you already <clears throat> won the cup? This is the big the summer season on the big rink. Oh, so it's not... Uh, the other one's like winter in there. Is this Olympic size? Uh, well, the one tonight feels like it. It's wider than NHL, I think. Oh, is this a random size? A random size rink? There's two sizes of rink. I'm trying to figure it out there's today. An NHL rink, and there's a No, there's rink. these all these old community centers and stuff where there's different sizes. Oh, yeah, it could right? just be it's, it's, totally like, Some of them seem a lot smaller than others, and I think sometimes it's just a illusion on the height of the ceiling and all kinds of stuff but this is this this one's definitely wider it just sucks when you're running to be on the wide i mean when i was in germany playing that one tournament on olympic size rings it was ridiculous me trying to cover my get some video of you imagine me trying to cover like a centerman is there any video of you in these old tournaments running around i'd love to get some of that up on the youtube channel I actually, I might have a really, really People, old clip. A really, really old clip. Do you have a better picture that's not so blurry of you C-setting in the blizzard? How is that picture so blurry? I don't know. I think no, it's because of panorama. I don't know why it's not high def. It must have like focused on a snowflake earlier. Like, oh, maybe, yeah. I posted okay. it on Twitter because you can't fucking see anything anyway. That's good. Yeah, I don't want my face out there. You don't want your face out there. You're on YouTube all the time. At least you're not wearing your robe where you're holding your moon. The one that was in the newsletter. See, this is why you have to sign up for the newsletter, because that's where you get the best pictures of Dunlop. <laughs> America.ca slash news. The one where you got your little robe on with the hood, and you're holding your moon on I the I was playing D&D, &D, wasn't I? I don't, know. I don't know what you were doing. It was Halloween, I think. No, it was the Eclipse night. Oh, it was Eclipse, yeah. The lunar right. Eclipse Lunar night. Eclipse, yeah. Unbelievable. And you couldn't ask for a better co-host than just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> So what do you got? Well, you know, I thought, I mean, it's kind of appropriate to this intro, but I've been accumulating a little bit of uh, feedback on the Flat Earth episode we had. I know we don't really want to get into it too much, but it's, it's pretty funny. I got a couple, something happened the other day where I got these two emails. Did you emails. say you got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple emails. Oh, boy. So how do you get two emails 
from the same continent. As far as I can tell, they're from different guys. Here, I got a synchro for oh, you to read. Okay, go, go. Here, we'll do that. Synchronicity, it's time for another installment of the Canadian Third Party Synchronicity Rating Authority. So I already told you this one, but I'll tell you again on the show. Okay. So Lisa, my wife, yep. planning her um, Canada Goddess retreat. Do you want to explain to people what that what that is? They go to CanadaGoddessCollective.com and check it out if they want. It's a, it's a women's circle thing. Um, they do circles, rituals, sharing, talking sticks, stuff like that. And What's the purpose? Is the Personal growth. Right. And they're going to do a retreat. Nice. Um, they pass the doobies around and stuff in there. Like that's yeah. why it's like can yeah. can a goddess as in cannabis. That's like, right. Stephen Gray would love it. Actually, we have like ten copies of his book in the studio. That uh, yeah, well, our I friends sold at a Inner Tradition. Oh yeah, that's right. Our friends at Inner Tradition sent a, my buddy John Hayes sent us a bunch of books, um, so that we could because it's all, it's a lot of it is focused on that cannabis and spirituality. So anyway, they find this place in Golden. I've actually been there. That's actually, this is the place where the fairy picture originated. Oh, wow. Um, which you'll hear about in a future episode. Which you'll hear about in a future episode. But you probably might have seen the picture on the socials. Anyway, so it's these cabins uh, out in BC. And she had called, left a message a while ago saying, okay, if we want to do a retreat there, what are the rules? You know, a cannabis retreat. And they were like, that's fine. You got to rent out the whole shebang, which isn't a big deal. The cabins are cheap and everything else. So um, they're like, okay, so what would we have to do to secure it? And they're like, two weeks before the event, you have to put down 40%. That sounds like a long time to wait to secure it. Well, it's just like, it's at the end of September. Okay. And it's like a chalet on the side of the road. Like I would say most of their traffic is commuters or like people traveling the highway that are looking for a place to stay on Airbnb. Oh, okay. Okay. Especially at that time of year. Okay. So, cause they're even going to give them a, I mean, the, I think they're going to get in the couch for like uh, a decent rate. seems like the off season. Okay. Anyway. So they're like, yeah, you got to, the deposit, you get to do blah, blah, blah before 40% of this number by this date. Add up all the cabins. And yeah, yeah. Multiply by the nightly thing, 40% of that kind of thing. Like yeah. a, an equation. Yeah. Complex equation. So run it all up. You did? She did. Okay. And uh, what's the number turned out to be? The deposit? $420. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's crazy. You couldn't make it up. What do you rate it? 420. It's out of 10. 420. <laughs> 840. <laughs> There you go. 8.4? Yeah. There you go. What do you got? Well, okay, I'll stick with the synchros. I got a little mini one. I, got, I can tell you. We need a name for like just these mini, these mini synchros. And this one's about the flat earth, but it's kind of one of those, um, it's one of those ones that happens a lot to, to people that listen to the show and to, to me as well. <clears throat> So 
I was just listening to the Flat Earth episode with David Weiss. He was making some sort of analogy and uses a blue yoga ball as an example. He said the words blue yoga ball. I was literally pushing a blue yoga ball that my four-year-old son likes to play with out of the way to get through a doorway. <laughs> Love the show. Keep up the good work. Nice. <laughs> and it reminds me, I was driving home from work the other day and I saw this Volkswagen bug. Oh, it's five point, this could be big, better than that. But it's got, we need like a mini synchro category because it's just like when those two little things line up. Like it's not complex and it doesn't necessarily have meaning. You know what I mean? It's not like meaningful like the Canna, Canna Goddess Collective 421, right? That's a bit more meaning than, except it is a blue ball. That's true. That kind of has a little bit of meaning. Is that blue ball like the planet Earth? Blue or ball. like your blue balls? <laughs> There's no such thing. Actually, did we debunk <laughs> that in the end? In the end, didn't you end up agreeing with blue balls? Not really. I still think it's psychosomatic. It doesn't huh. really. People start to argue now, but I still don't really buy it. I, I wonder thought, what episode. No, here's is. what my thought was: what it was. That a lot of people just use it as an excuse. That's all. For what? It gets overblown. It gets over exaggerated. An excuse to... Because whenever you start kissing a girl or something and it doesn't go all the way, you're like, I got blue balls. So it ends up being, you know, oh, so overplayed You're looking at, you're looking at it from it's, the Me Too perspective that guys are using their blue balls to maybe push the exactly. limit. <laughs> you have, not uh, really. Do you have some not, personal <laughs> fucking <laughs> demons? Or? Not, no, not at all. I told you, I never, have to, I never got them, never had to worry about them. You know what's funny is that if I type in uh, Blue Balls Grammarica, yeah, it doesn't come up. Well, that's good. Yeah, I thought it would come up that's for sure bad. in the app. The, app. the app's done a great job of searching stuff so far, like the fortune cookies it finds right away. So, anyways, I'm driving home from work with your and blue I balls. see a blue, I see a bug, a Volkswagen bug. This way. And I, and I look at and it's got something on it, and I think, I wonder if that's. Herbie the love bug. What? I think in my head, right? I mean, what would make me think that? Just because it's got a bug and it's got some lettering on it, right? Is it old? One of the old no, bugs? No, it's a new one. So I go around the corner, like literally 30 seconds later, Herbie the love bug shows up, drives by. The actual, it's got the stripes, the number on the side and everything. And I go, there's Herbie the love bug. Like, what are the chances? <laughs> I'm thinking in my head, like... Didn't Herbie talk or something? <clears throat> yeah, probably. I can't remember that. So channel. there's probably one Herbie the Love Bug in Calgary, you know. Think out of a... Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think there's one in Calgary. You maybe. think? Or maybe it's just driving around. Maybe just... Totally maybe there's a lot. Yeah. Oh, so is that one there with the number 53 on it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, there aren't a lot of those running around. Town. No, yeah, no. I've only seen one. I think I've only seen it twice in like seven years. That's a pretty good one. That's more of a uh, ripple stick. Yeah. I had some more examples like that. I should. I got to keep track of them again and write them down because they're. I, there's a couple more like that too now. I gotta Don't push your luck. Anyways. So, what else you got? So I was speaking at the beginning about two emails from two guys from Flat the Earth. same continent. Same topic. The only two I've got on this topic. What continent? Australia. The flattest one. That's right. 
<laughs> Quick email to spread the fantastic news. I think I just photographed the impossible. After a long and rainy day in Melbourne, I was privileged enough to spot a rare phenomenon. I saw the underside of the clouds being lit up as the sun, by the sun as it sets. Now, if he was instantly transported. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pull over and take a photo of this once-in-a-lifetime event. Even as I am writing this, I can't keep a straight face. I picked up the kids from kinder and school, was driving home when I took the attached photo. While it was a nice sunset, it did make me think of the FE episode you guys did. I applaud you for doing the show. If you're given a platform for people to speak, then a whole range of different people will tell their story, even the crazies. <clears throat> I just can't bring myself around to the whole FE thing, though. If each questionable idea in the FE cult was a star in the dark sky, I'd be able to read outside at midnight. <laughs> they do have one thing right, though. We have been lied to, or at least had information withheld. I think Graham Hancock encapsulates that sentiment pretty well. Congratulations on getting him on the show, and it's an achievement to be proud of. Keep up the fantastic work. Have a cackin' good time. If I had the dollars to join you, I would, but it's a bit expensive from Australia. And I hope that Randall runs out of things to say on the trip. Not in a bad way, though. He has such a vast and important knowledge base that is getting out all <clears throat> that getting it all out and recording would be like rebuilding the Library of Alexandria. Cheers to the dudes and dudettes of Grimerica. That was Dave from Aussieland. Thanks, Dave, the Australian. Oh, and then I should show you his uh, the picture of the sunset there. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Could be bouncing off the ocean. So, and then... Oh, uh, no, never mind. Check the, time the sun sets in the west and Melbourne's on the east coast, right? I don't know where Melbourne is. How do you not know where Melbourne is? So this was uh, at 2.48. Let me just see if this timing ends up working. Huh. A couple hours later on the same day, I get another pick. Right here, from Australia. This photo was inland Australia. It's very flat from here all the way to the west where the photo was aiming. Kind of looks like light on the underside. Anyway, I thought it was kind of cool. It made me remember the Flat Earth podcast. Also, the one thing no one ever brings up when talking to Flat Earthers is Einstein's theory of relativity. The reason gravity can hold this huge amount of water yet a butterfly can float, is because the more mass something has, the greater the effect gravity has on it. This is the same reason water doesn't spin off. Just a thought. Cheers, Zach. So when did the emails come in? What are the times? This one was three hours after the other one. On the same day. Exactly three hours? No. Give me the times. 5.13 and 2.48. 248 to 5.13. Is two hours and 25 minutes. Two plus two plus five is nine. It's three. 33. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Mind blown. Grammarica.ca slash support case. Oh, do you have another email to read? No, that's it. Uh, no. Help uh, keep the show listener supported. If you got some value, we're coming up here. I should mention we're about... Three weeks away, less than three weeks. We're 15 days away from the six-year anniversary of the show. We'll be at 350 episodes, six-year anniversary here in 15 days. All available still for free 
uh, on the website or, you know, the one thing, you, the iTunes store, I don't think goes back all the way to episode one, but if you get a real app, like iCatcher or something like that, or I don't know if iCatcher does. Probably Yeah, does. I think it does, yeah. Uh, I use Overcast. Overcast does. Check your app. Let us know if it goes all the way back to episode one. It should be Ephraim Palermo. And hopefully it shows the unique episode art that Nap does too. That's awesome. Mm. F&A. Yeah, link to, to uh, her work in the show notes. Yes. I'm going to get the last one framed for the house. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what I was thinking, actually, Michael... Mike, I got to talk to Michael again. He's in town this weekend because he had a line on this place. And the next time they have a sale, they'll do you like a hardcover coffee table book. And they had a sale on where they were for like 45 bucks where you could send in the episode art. So you could have like a coffee table book of all the episode art. And it might be cool to have that and like the bit of the show notes on the back as like souvenirs, you know? Like if you could get a good deal on it, just to have in the studio of every show we've ever done. What about like the No Agenda guys are just talking about wallpaper, like with all the art, but not technically wallpaper, but like a poster size thing or something, or yeah, something, something. We gotta we gotta get that Red Bubble store going again too. I made all those different designs in there. I should make more. Yeah, there is some swag there though. It's There's a ton. Uh, I fixed Grand the swag. Like, slash swag. I think that works again. I'll check right now. Uh, keep talking. That's swag with a W, not an L. Why would it be an L? Because I said swag. Oh, yeah, the, the swag link works. Uh, anyway, yeah, my buddy Rye bought a shirt. Looks good. <clears throat> We've given you guys 350 episodes here. We're coming up on 347 so far. Just, uh, I think we're... Plus the black budget. we got, I don't know, how many in there? 40 yeah. in there, maybe? We're at about 1,000 hours of content, if you add everything up. 1,000 hours of content, all available for free. Delivered for free. What we do ask is that you did a little, find a little value from those shows, however many you listened to, you know, what were they worth to you? Were they worth a couple of bucks? Were they worth the price of a coffee? Something like that. Maybe it was. Head over to grammerica.ca slash support. There's a bunch of different options there, guys. There's a Stripe page where you can do a bunch of different monthlies, or you can do a one-time donation. You can do monthlies on PayPal or a one-time donation. And, of course, you can do uh, Patreon. Yeah, which is kid Patreon's been popular again. There's lately. also a PO box in the in the show no, or in, on the website and in the show notes as well. So if you want to send books with cash in them, of course it's illegal to send cash in the mail. So you take that risk, not us. Um, don't send cash, I guess. So wink, wink. Uh, so seriously you, though, we no, got no. some plans. We'd like to we'd like to uh, grow into our own infrastructure being able to host all our own stuff here, get our own servers and um, get to the point where nobody can stop us. Honestly, that the bigger, that's the bigger picture right now is that if you like, honestly search Tim pool, watch some of his podcasts about the censorship that's going on right now and the deplatforming. And and it's, it's really scary. Like the, I think the time is now more than ever to, to, to get rid of the cable, you know, bill, the cable subscription and start supporting independent media. I mean, really, it's, it's crazy the censorship that's going on right now. And I mean, free speech was important. And I don't like, I don't like hate speech, but people should still be allowed to express their ideas, even if they're dumb or crazy or, or, you know, critical of the government or other groups. I mean, we can't get into this thing where big tech companies are controlling what we say. I mean, it's really, this is an important time. Like people, I hope they realize what's going on and how bad it's getting right now. Yeah, it's a mess. And we'd like to insulate us ourselves from that a little bit. 
before it's too late. Grandmaker.ca slash spread. I mean, I think we're small enough yet. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, of course, we're shadow bands. So we're not growing super fast. Unless you guys tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends. Sign them up for the well, newsletter. And, and tell the friends about, like, watch a couple Tim, Tim Pool videos on that. Go search Tim Pool on YouTube. Send those to your friends and make them aware about what's going on. I mean, this is not, it's not going to end well, no matter what, for any side of the argument. It's not going to end well. That's right. When they start to control your speech, take away your guns, control your speech. Like what happens after that? It's all downhill from there. Like what if we can't even talk about, well, actually we're not supposed to talk about bad about things up in Canada here. Oh, you got what if we just question, we don't have, we don't have free speech in Canada. What if talking about, you know, talking about ancient mysteries and human histories becomes not allowed. You know, what if people start stumbling on the truth and the evidence starts coming out that we've been lied to for so long and that's not even allowed to be talked about? I mean, where does it end? Who knows? I'll tell you where it should end right with the, now. With the quotes? No, where, the, where this conversation is, dan.grandamerica.ca slash support with you joining the team of the wonderful group of people that <clears throat> uh, pay for the studio, pay for the space, pay for the internet and all the other things it takes to bring the show to you because Graham and I can't afford it. No. Oh. No chance. No. So, grammarica.ca slash support, guys. We love you. What do you got? I got a couple quotes. I'm going to continue this quote thing. Go ahead. These great books. No jingle. This is from an up end to upside down thinking. Oh, okay, fine. Down and just, just replace deep. UFO with like deep state or it's a scientism. UFO quote of the week. Material. Yeah, I'll just cut out UFO. So, just profound quote of the week. <laughs> Telepathy and clairvoyance, as we see now, indisputably imply this enlarged conception of the universe as intelligible by man. And so soon as man is steadily conceived as dwelling in his wider range of powers, his survival of death becomes an almost inevitable corollary. With this survival, his field of view broadens again. If we once admit discarnate spirits as actors in human affairs, we must expect them to act in some ways with greater scope and freedom than is possible to the incarnate spirits, which we already know. Who is that? <laughs> That's an awesome quote. And it's from the 1800s. From the 1800s? Yeah. It was... I don't know. Frederick... <laughs> Frederick... W.H. No. Myers, one of the founders of the Society for Psychical Research in the late 1800s. Back before it was a faux pas. You ready for the next one? Sure. This is from my favorite quoting book. This is from the, the Octopus of Global Control. Okay. You might get this one. Unfortunately, there are a growing number of scientists, politicians, and global opinion makers that believe we must reduce the size of the human population for the good of the planet. They are convinced that humanity is causing global warming, killing off other species, and making this planet unlivable. In their quest to save the future of the planet, they are becoming bolder and bolder with their calls for population control. They love death because they believe that it will help save the earth. They figure that with fewer humans around, there will be fewer carbon emissions, less pollution, 
and more room for other species. So how will this be achieved? After birth abortions. Mobile and... and what's that word again? Ethusia, euthanasia. Euthanasia teams. <laughs> Sperm-destroying ultrasound technology and putting contraceptives in the tap water are just some of the ways that are being proposed to reduce current human numbers. This hatred of life and love of death is being taught in colleges and universities all over the Western world. And this population control philosophy is becoming increasingly dominant with each passing year. Who's that? Tommy Robinson? Michael Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, (laughs) That all you got? Yeah, that's all I got. Might as well jump into it. Chat with Buddy the Show. Friend of the show, Dave Matson. What's the book called again? I don't know. Oh, come on. It's his new one. Well, you had it up. You can't just ask me to have it up when you had it up before. What do you, that's your thing. You're that guy. What guy? You're the guy who does that. Does what? See, Ancient World. See, I'm going to find it before you know. The Ancient Worldwide System. Star Myths of the World, Volume 1, Second Edition. I wonder how many volumes and editions there'll be. It's like in probably another big coffee table book. Oh, yeah, we've got Volume 1. It's fantastic. We've got all day's books so far, I believe. Anyway, enjoy the chat. David W. Matheson. David Matheson back with us, one of our favorite guests, a friend of the show. Somehow he's pumping out more books on star myths. We're going to talk about his latest one, which is the Ancient Worldwide System Star Myths of the World, Volume 1. And he's already got like Volume 2, 3, and 4 of Star Myths of the World, where he talked about ancient Greece and the Bible and Norse mythology. And uh, way back when we met him, I think it was The Undying Stars was the book from 2014. And then still pumping out other ones like Astro Theology for Life and Ancient Myths and Ancient Wisdom. So, uh, yeah, how are you doing this, David? How are you still pumping out these huge books so often? Hey. Thanks for having me on, Graham. That's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, it's almost like I'm discovering fossils. You know, if, if, if you went out in your backyard one day after a rainstorm there in Calgary, and you saw this huge canyon that opened up in your backyard after the rain, and you saw all these like dinosaur bones on the side, and you just started pulling them out, and somebody'd be like, "Wow, Graham, you just pulled out a you know 
Tyrannosaurus, and then now you just found a Brontosaurus, and now you just found a, another one. How are you cranking out all these dinosaurs? And, and you'd say, I don't know. They're just right. They're right there. It's almost like I'm discovering um, these connections. It's not like I'm having to crank them out. Yeah, but um, it, yeah, but it still takes so much. Uh, like these aren't easy. They're not uh, short little, <clears throat> you know, little books. They're they're pretty big in-depth book so there's a lot of research involved there must be a lot of uh study like but do you find that it it flows through in a, in a kind of like a download type way or how i mean i i just i guess i can't wrap my head around how <clears throat> long it would take to to do one of these and how quickly you can just pump these out not that you're yeah, you know, not no. that you're you know i'm not saying you're rushing them or anything like that but no there's actually a team of 50 people i'm just the front <laughs> guy <Exactly. laughs> I'm not the real brains of the organization, so nobody can really, you know, stop it. Um, but yeah, my most recent one. So I, I, I waited to introduse it on the show. Here's the oh, most recent. Oh, that's fantastic. There it is. Let's see. Oh, hang on. It's I, capturing the light a little bit. Slide oh, yeah. over. Yeah. There... <laughs> oh, Hold on. Yeah, it's capturing. I had to tilt it. Oh, you anyway, flip it over. You can see it's pretty thick. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that's, Holy. That's, that's 912 pages right there flip it upside so, down flip, or flip it right side up oh yeah <laughs> there we go there we go the ancient worldwide system yeah yeah with with screen reflecting um but anyway um so you asked really what i would say is it's it's really more of a chore to um pare down what i'm writing as you can see 912 pages you could write I always find myself saying, okay, now we have to leave the myths of Egypt because I've got to get to the myths of India here. And I could still write 12 volumes on just Egypt wow. and then 12 volumes on just India. And you still wouldn't run out. You wow, still just really? scratching the surface. That's how much myth there is. It's like this vast treasure. It's like all these fossils that are buried around the world. You're just not going to run out. I think his name should be David Matheson. Well, I, I was saying before the show that it seems to be um, like an encyclopedia series you're putting together. Well, so I went back and rewrote volume one because I, I've learned so much more since I wrote the first one. So I wrote the first volume one in 2015, and I realized, you know, this is probably the first one that people are picking up. And now five years later, or almost five years later, I've learned so much more that I really felt like I needed to go back and enhance and, and upgrade the, the first one that people come to. So this one is now really, really comprehensive. But you're right. Um, you know, I need to write a, probably a shorter one than, than 912 pages because um, it is it does seem like it might be a little daunting but if you really want to know this ancient system this is i try to be very comprehensive and if you read and if you take the time to read it and i think i hope you'll find it interesting but it may take a little it may take a few myths to kind of get warmed up and to see what i'm talking about i find that sometimes people may I may be trying to explain it and then people explain back to me what they heard and it doesn't really click yet. <laughs> I say, well, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. But if you get if you're really interested in learning how all the world's myths are based on a worldwide, a single common 
worldwide system, this book is very comprehensive. And I could have split it into multiple little books, but what I think is really valuable about having it together in one book is you can start seeing this pattern cropping up in myths from Africa, and then myths from Australia, and then myths from ancient Egypt, and then myths from ancient India. And because it's all in one book, and then we get to ancient Japan and ancient China, and those that same pattern, by the time you're getting to Egypt and India, hopefully you're starting to see, wow, they really are using the same system around the world. And that, of course, flies in the face of everything that we've been taught. It's, it's very uh, outside of the conventional paradigm. And, and, and I'll show you some evidence to, to back up what I'm saying. But I think having it all together in one, this one volume, Starmus Volume 1 goes around the world. It starts in Australia and goes to Africa and ancient Egypt, ancient India, the Americas, the Pacific ancient China and Japan. And, and then volume two is where I dive into the Greek myths. And volume two is all about the Greek myths. Volume three is all about the star myths of the Bible. And volume four, as we were talking about a little bit before the show, Graham, is Norse myths. I was commenting on your cool new blanket that you have there on the Graham side of the igloo there. So I dive into, you know, closer and closer readings of some specific myths of ancient Greece in volume two, or the Bible in volume three, the Norse myths in volume four. But volume one really tries to circle the whole globe. And I, I consciously decided to keep it all in one book so that people can really get the sense of a worldwide system and see how it all connects. And then can you just also describe for people that don't know of your work yet or that haven't heard you before on the show or any other show that like what that what that core thing is. Like you've got these myths and you've got the stars and the you know the heavens and the constellations. Can you just explain like sort of the core thing of of what you're what you're doing here with those? Yeah, absolutely. So when I say that all the world's myths are based on a common system of celestial metaphor, what I mean is that the characters and the episodes are based on specific constellations and specific parts of the sky. And the characteristics of those constellations will often appear in the same constellation will play a similar character in different myths around the world. So a storm god or the most powerful god, the thunder god, will almost always be associated with a specific constellation, the constellation Hercules. Hmm. So the, the god Thor can be seen to match up with that specific constellation. But Zeus is a, also a thunder god who wields the thunderbolt, and he's the strongest god in the Greek myths. And he's also associated, you can clearly see if you look at enough myths that he is associated or i argue that you can clearly see yeah um, this is not something that is widely known or widely accepted yet but you can clearly see that zeus is also based on the constellation hercules and i've got some slides to show that to people so we can we can pop up slides whenever you're ready i don't know there might be a little tiny delay so 
Um, like, are you seeing me wave my finger yeah, yet? Yep. Okay. Yeah, right it's, it's the delay is not so bad on your end. It might be worse on ours. So yeah, it's okay. good. It's good. Okay, no problem. But um, but if you want, I can show. So, but what I just said does that make sense? What I just said, yeah. the, the characters, yeah. like in the Bible, the characters in the Bible from beginning to end are based on constellations. I would argue, and right. I can show evidence to back up that assertion and i did not used to believe that i did not used to accept that idea i used to take the bible as if it was literal that these are talking about literal characters that lived in a literal historical time and place thousands of years ago and that's the way most people think that it's supposed to be understood even if you don't believe necessarily in those characters most people believe that at least that's what it's trying to record. But I would argue that it is very clearly talking about constellations and that there are places in the Bible where it's, where it's clear that it's talking about constellations and not literal people. So do you think that constellations really had a lot more meaning for people then in the ancient, uh, ancient times? And these myths are, they're more than just myths. They're about the sky and the constellations and then i guess so, so that must have been a very important part of their life yeah so so what i think graham and darren is you know you guys just had on graham hancock and you guys are going to contact at the cabin with randall carlson it's going to be you know great wish i could go to that one but um the the evidence is that there was an ancient culture some ancient culture even more ancient than what we know yeah and graham hancock is talking about archaeological evidence in the pyramids and and these mounds in the americas that he's talking about in fact i got to i was actually at the serpent mound that time in in 2017 that he was talking about in uh, the summer solstice the serpent nice. mound you know it's so amazing um and uh those archaeological he's also of course talking about cultural evidence and randall carlson is talking about the geological evidence of a cataclysm and he's talking about sacred geometry evidence of you know the use of this around the world and robert shock talks about the evidence of a cataclysm well what i would argue is that this mythical evidence is yet another enormous body of evidence that points to the existence of some extremely ancient culture that predates the oldest cultures that we know about predates ancient egypt predates ancient babylon ancient mesopotamia ancient sumer because those myths from ancient babylon are using this system and the myths from ancient egypt are using this system and the myths from ancient india which is there's another extremely ancient culture the indus valley culture or the indus saraswati valley uh, civilization very ancient the indian ancient vedas are using this system of celestial metaphor and i think so i don't know i don't think we can say what they were doing this for i've got some pretty strong ideas that i've formulated over the years um, about what they were trying to do with it but i don't think they were just Certainly, they saw the heavens as a, a very important 
part of the universe. But I think they were also using it as a system to convey things about invisible matters or about infinite matter. We can talk about what I think they were doing with it. First, I think it's probably good to you know lay out some evidence so that people can understand what I'm talking about, because it's kind of hard. What makes it even harder is we don't really know the constellations typically. A lot of people you know, may be familiar with kind of zodiac signs, but not necessarily with the constellations and how those stars look or being able to find, let's say, Sagittarius or Capricorn or Hercules or Virgo in the sky. But I think they were using it as a uh, a language, like a code to talk about the infinite realm. Because when you look up at the heavens, it is an infinite realm. You are looking out into infinity. So I think they were talking about things like, you know, you guys talk about synchronicities. Well, what is that? What What is that when somebody gets a, you know, a message, don't go in their truck, and then they stop, you know, and then they just miss getting run over by a semi-truck or something? What? Where did that come from? Well, I think that's what the myths are. I think they are a system for talking about real things that we need in our daily life, but that are hard to understand without metaphor. So telling a story can can go and and explain it to a deeper part of our consciousness than kind of our day-to-day thinking mind. That's what I think they were doing. We can talk about that more if you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does, how does, that, out. How does that really ancient, like you mentioned, the really ancient <clears throat> civilization or cultural myths tie into the evidence that we have like i mean graham hancock and all those guys are looking at some evidence but what do you see like how does that connect with the ancient myths that you've been talking about like going way back like is is that from them is it coming down from from them into these other cultures like is it is it tied from a yeah. yeah I think that's the most likely explanation so so let me show you let me i got a little show and tell for you on America, yeah, if you're ready for yeah, yeah, sure. so everyone, if Darren, uh, ready for some shit. Well, chairs? the stream's been struggling, but let's see what happens. Oh, we need that. We okay, need the hard line back, eh? We need, we need the hard line back. We're yeah, bad. you guys are kind of frozen on my screen. We are. Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay. I'm starting to. I'm. I'm going to try and share here. Maybe that's why it's frozen. Hey, it's us. <laughs> All right. Can you see my? Uh, can you see my screen? We can. It's us. Right on. All right. So what I'm looking at here, can you guys see this? Uh, yep. All right. So this is a painting. I actually tried to put in the... Uh, oh, do you have like my menu bar at the bottom of the screen? Yes. I don't know what that's doing there. Okay. Um, that's all right. The uh, Maybe it'll go away. I might have to... Minimize just so I can move the slides forward. Well, let's see. All right, so I've got it at the bottom of the screen, but it's covered up by my menu bar when this painting was done. But do you have any idea what this is a painting trying to depict? It's a Bible story. Uh, nope, but it's it's got like a, a lady or a queen on one of those, uh, what do you call those things that you... Yeah, exactly the thing right. The slaves carry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, like they might not be slaves. They could be employees. 
I yeah, they think. could be priests. They <laughs> shave their heads, so they might be priests. Yeah. But anyway, um, but walking right next to her, you can see two women carrying something too. You see that? Oh, a baby, yep. Baby in a basket. Mm-hmm. So this is a depiction of the story of from Sunday school. There. I have no idea. Everyone out there in the uh, Grimerica audience is yelling at their screen. You think so? The answer. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know. That's right. Noah's Ark. <laughs> no, not, no. That's no, that's a good. That's a that's actually a really interesting guess, though, because <laughs> it's Baby Moses. It's baby Moses was cast adrift in the among the bulrushes. You can see there's some the bulrushes you know, hanging down from the basket, hanging yeah, down on the yeah, basket. Yeah. And actually, the word that's used is an ark. So the baby was floated in an ark into the Nile by his mother. So he was cast adrift into the Nile. Um, this is, you know, if you, I think it's Genesis. Um, oh, it's in Exodus 2, sorry. So it's in uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 2. And the, the children of Israel are in Egypt as slaves, and the Pharaoh is killing all the male babies. So the mother floats her baby, you know, a, a mother conceives and has a baby, but she keeps it secret so that Pharaoh won't kill it. This is in Exodus too. So she floats the baby in an ark made of bulrushes among the reeds. And then she, uh, she doesn't want the baby to be, you know, found or killed. But then the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess comes down to, with her maidens to bathe at the water and she finds the baby. And then She's so enchanted by the baby that she's going to raise the baby. And then the sister, this is baby Moses. So Moses's older sister was kind of watching and she comes down and says, Hey, you want me to find a nurse for this baby? And the Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go get a nurse, you know, to, to breastfeed the baby. And, um, and so she, the, the sister goes and gets the actual mother of Moses to be the nurse. So Moses's mother gets to continue to have the bond and raise uh, Moses, but then he becomes a prince of Egypt, and huh. um, that's the story. Well, as it turns out, um, this pattern of a baby being cast adrift in the waters is found literally around the world. There are many myths where this happens. I just happen to have pictures of the Moses incident because that gets painted a lot. This is from the 1800s. I don't have the, I don't have the, the date is on the <laughs> slide but it's down at the bottom covered up by this crazy menu bar. Probably someone's yelling at the screen to tell me how to get rid of the menu bar, but I don't actually know how. Um, so let me go to the next one. So, oh, that's how I do it. Can you guys see it now? Yep. Clickety clack. Right. See what? What am I? Oh, the uh, Lorenz Alma Taderma. No, no, he yeah. got rid of the menu bar. I get rid of the menu bar. So oh. this was painted in 1904. But actually, what's really interesting is that this artist has incorporated a lot of celestial references in the painting. You can't really, it wouldn't be worthwhile for me to talk about those now, but maybe later we'll get a chance to. But like these fans that, he, I, that this guy is fanning, the, the two guys are fanning the queen with, and the um, woman playing the musical instrument, these are celestial symbols that have been incorporated into this. 
This is a celestial scene. But let me go to another one. This is the same scene. This is painted by someone, Konstantin Flavitsky. He only lived to be 35 or 36, but he uh, painted this scene. You can see there's some common elements. These are celestial elements. But baby, anyway, Mo baby Moses looks pretty old in that one. Yeah, he's he's been. Uh, <laughs> he looks he's like been he's well. balding. <laughs> anyway, there's there's baby Moses. But let me tell you a couple other examples of this same pattern. And and I'm going to use a. Do you guys remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yep. Graham does. Darren's like, what are you no, talking I about? I remember that. Before yeah. time. I remember. Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, he was great. So he, I grew up, you know, watching Mr. Rogers, and he would go to the land of make-believe. And if I ever do a, you know, a podcast or something, like we could go to the land of myth, and then we come out and have some lessons from it. That's kind of what Mr. Rogers would do. He would go into the land of make-believe, and he would show oh, you know, a bully at school or, and how to deal with it. And then he would come out and say, well, you know, we saw in the land of make-believe this situation, and then there's some good lessons for us in there. Well, the, um, the myths are like that too. You go into the land of myths, and then you can come back with lessons for your life, which we'll talk about what those might be. But he would also do another thing I liked about Mr. Rogers, and I think they kind of parodied Mr. Rogers. I think the Wayans brothers parodied Mr. Rogers. Um, like he would introduce a word and he would say, can you say, um, you know, whatever. So I'm going to introduce a word, oikotype, which is not a common word. Oikotype is O-I-C-O, -O, oiko and then type. It's actually a word that was, uh, it comes from botany to describe different types of plants that are within the same family. But there was a Swedish folklorist named Carl von Sydow, who Carl Wilhelm von Sydow, he was Swedish uh, folklorist who studied different myths and folklore. And he said, kind of like in botany, where there's different plants in the same group, um, these myths seem to have oikotypes or patterns, myth patterns that repeat from culture to culture. And just as I was about an hour ago, getting ready to introduce that word. I've used it in a couple of books. I use it in this most recent book. I use it in Astrotheology for Life, where I talk about these myth patterns. And I said, you know, I'm going to talk about this word oikotype to Graham and Darren. I wonder if Carl von Sydow, he's from Sweden. The actor Max von Sydow is from Sweden. I wonder if they're related in any way. So I went on the internet and looked. Carl von Sydow introduced this term oikotype in 1927 to talk about myth patterns. <laughs> in 1929, he had a son named, he named him Carl von Sydow, and, and Carl von Sydow became an actor. He changed his name to Max, his stage name, or his name is now Max von Sydow. That, you know who Max von Sydow is? Moses? No. No, <laughs> no he, he's a really famous actor. He, he was in Minority Report. He was the bad guy. In oh, Minority okay. Report, yeah, yeah. He was in Game of Thrones as the most recent three-eyed bad guy. Yeah, alleged bad guy, right? Because technically he, he didn't commit the crime yet, did he? Oh no, yeah, <laughs> no, he was trying to have Tom Cruise put, you know, put into the uh, pre-crime. All right, well, you can't blame him. Yeah, <laughs> but that's Max von Sydow. 
He's the son of Karl von Sydow, who came up with the idea of the word oikotype that I've been using for, you know, two books now. And I didn't even realize it was the father of um, Max von Sydow. So that sounds like a, tra- that sounds like a rabbi saying archetype. Archetype, oikotype. oikotype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get away with that? Am I going to get emails? Better, you better, you better uh, edit that out. Um, <laughs> the uh, so this myth pattern of baby Moses. There is a king in Sumer or Akkad, actually in Babylon, named Sargon, who lived like two thousand BC or possibly earlier than that, and his mother set him adrift in the river. There is. Um, There is a story in Japan of a god and goddess who have a child who's born with no bones, and he's called the leech child, Hiruko, and they set him adrift in a boat in the sea. There is the story of baby Maui, who um, is in the myths of the Pacific, and when he's born, in some of the versions of the Maui story, his parents are horrified because the baby has eight heads and they throw him into the sea. And he's, he's there in the sea foam and his grandfather comes and gets him and, and, and rescues him basically um, out of the sea foam. Just like in the Moses story, the baby always, always gets rescued. He's cast adrift, but he's rescued. Huh. There's even one in ancient India in the Mahabharat or the Mahabharat, uh, which is... Uh, an ancient epic, a Sanskrit epic. It's very well known in India. They have, if you go on YouTube, you can look up Mahabharat or Mahabharata is how it's spelled. And you'll find all these big, you know, Bollywood productions, kind of like in the fifties where we would have these big giant uh, sword and sandal epics about like Moses or about the Roman empire or about the Greek myths. They have all these about the stories of the Mahabharat. And in that story, there's a baby named Karna who is also set adrift in the river uh, by his mother. And I could tell you the whole story why he's set adrift. But the same pattern keeps popping up around the world. So I've got here a map. This is a 1794 map. So you can see it doesn't have Antarctica on it. But uh, still has but, the ice wall. Is that the ice wall going <laughs> around it? That's only in the flat earth. This is, uh, this is the double flat earth here. There's only one little little place where you can get between the two flat earths on this one. Um, so look at all the places that this myth pops up. Actually, I thought I fixed that. It's in five places. Could yeah, you in... got five on there. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, there's one. I got it covered up by my Grimerica. Yeah, good. So, yeah, I had my Japan arrow covered up. So Japan's way up there in the upper right corner. There's India. There's one in Mesopotamia. There's one in the Nile River, you know, from the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And then the the myths of the Pacific really actually cover a huge amount of area. I think I put a triangle in here. Uh, I got to click. The 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 Pacific Ocean, the Polynesian culture, the Pacific culture that have the Maui stories actually covers the largest space of any culture on earth. They stretch all the way from New Zealand or Aotearoa, all the way out to Easter Island, all the way up to 
Hawaii, and there's even some islands to the left or on the west of the screen there that uh, have Maui myths. I so, love Maui. My yeah, so, so Maui was cast adrift in the same pattern. So this is very hard to explain. This is very hard to say how this pattern keeps popping up. And so there are different theories that, you know, well, maybe there's a collective unconscious. Well, that's possible. Maybe they're, maybe the ancient Egyptians were sailing around and spreading their myth to India. And then eventually the ancient Egyptians went to Japan and then they went to Maui or Hawaii, or maybe they went to New Zealand. That's possible, but very, very unlikely, especially because the population of the Pacific islands, the, the, the cultures that populated all those different islands were populating some of them long after the Egyptians. So what I think is a much more likely scenario is that these are all echoes of a even more ancient system that was using the stars and had this pattern of a baby cast adrift. And that pattern was remembered in all these different places or was adapted in different places, but it still has a very uh, repeating pattern. It's an oikotype. It's a, it's a myth pattern that's found around the world. Now this one, you might say, wait a minute, you're missing a couple continents there. Where, where's the arrow on the North and South America, yeah. North and South America. Where's the arrow on Australia? Well, there's different myths that, that repeat on those continents too. This one, I don't know of a baby cast adrift in the Americas, but I've got another myth, another, a different oikotype that does have that. This is the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, or um, there's a, it's a, it's a pattern that repeats. It's the, the unsuccessful retrieval from the dead. So it's not always Orpheus and Eurydice. That's just the pattern as it manifests in Greece. This is the story of Orpheus. It may not be as well known, but on his, Orpheus was the greatest musician who ever lived in the Greek myths. He played the, you know, the stringed lyre instrument, and he was so amazing with his music that even like the rocks would start to weep uh, if he started to play a sad song or something. He could just evoke whatever emotion he wanted. He was so gifted. And he was in love with the beautiful Eurydice. It's spelled like Eurydice, uh, E-U-R-Y-D-I-C-E. So Eurydice, on the day of their wedding, um, the very day that they're to be married, steps on a serpent and is bitten and dies. So she goes down to Hades. And then Orpheus is, of course, distraught. So he goes down to the underworld and he goes all the way down in front of the king and the queen of the dead in the, in the land of Hades. And he begs them to let Eurydice go. Please let her um, come back to the, the, the living world. So... And maybe he plays his lyre, you know, plays some music to move their hearts. Anyway, they're moved to say, okay, you can have her back. Here's the, here's the conditions. She will follow you back to the land of the living. 
out of Hades, but out through the gates of the dead, all the way up the narrow passageway to the land of the living. But you must not look back. You must not look back at her. You just have to trust that we are keeping our word and that she's following you. Until you get back to the land of the living, until she's back out of the underworld in the land of the living, you must not look back. If you do, the deal's off. She comes back with us. And Orpheus says, okay, I can do that. Might be hard. So he starts going up the path. He can't hear her behind him because she's a, you know, a shade or a ghost. But he just has to trust. He's, it's hard. He wants to look back to see his beloved if she's following. But no, he, he uses his willpower. He gets up. And then there's a, kind of like a step to get back up to the, the land of sunshine. And he steps up. And he, without even really thinking, he turns around to help her up. And that's the last he sees her. He sees her. He turns around. And she just she's fading away into the underworld. Here's another Here's another picture of it. He uh, he's made it. He's almost out. He's out. She's almost out. He turns around without thinking. There's Orpheus. You can see his stringed instrument in this painting from the 1800s, and she vanishes back to the underworld. He 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 missed he missed his chance. You guys still there? Yeah. This isn't the same icotype as the babies, is it? No, it's a different so, one. So so can we just tie up the baby one for a sec? Because yeah, they, how do you so? That's shared all over the world, and it's tied into the stars and the constellations. So they're all are they all somehow taking the same message out of the stars on that? Yes, and I would argue it's the same region of the sky that we're talking about here. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, what's amazing is, but yeah, I'm going to show you the region. Okay, of the sky, okay, okay, cool. But I felt like. People might be saying, wait a minute, what about the Americas? Yeah, so okay, okay, I see pattern, what you're saying. Actually, yeah. this one happens to be all the way across North America from... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, the, now, yeah, so it kind of ties in. I mean, it could be a greater oikotype in a way, maybe. Well, so this is really interesting. Um, these are these are oikotypes that really repeat around the globe. This one about the, um, the failed retrieval from the dead, mm -hmm. like I was saying... There are Native American nations or tribes from all the way across from the farthest west, northwest, down into the southwest, up into the northeast. Even there was a missionary, who, a, a Jesuit missionary in the 1500s, or I think it was the 1500s. I wrote about it in my book, Astrotheology for Life. I can look up what year it was. I think it was the late 1500s. He was in the 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 Iroquois and the Huron nations of the north, what's today New York area, mm -hmm. and he 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 remarked in his writings about they have this myth that's almost exactly the same as the Eurydice myth, mm. an Orpheus myth. There's even books, and Graham Hancock actually mentions these books in his latest book. Um, he mentions the Orpheus myth being in the Americas. But it's not just in the Americas. So we'll, we'll circle back to the baby in a second. Graham is very concerned about the baby. No, no, no. That makes sense now. I, I see what you're... So, I see what you're <laughs> no, but I wanted, I wanted to um, also show... So there she is being bit by a, a serpent on the foot, right? Serpent, foot. That's important. Remember that. This is in Japan. So we have another example of this. This is, a, this is actually the parents who set their baby adrift. Well, later that the wife... Uh, this is Izanagi. I might not be pronouncing it correctly. 
uh, not a Japanese speaker. I think it's a hard language. And Izanami, the the wife is Izanami, the husband is Izanagi, or the male and the female Izanagi and Izanami. And Izanagi, Izanami actually uh, dies in childbirth later after after they set the first baby adrift. She gives birth to a fire baby, and then she she's burned up and she dies, and she goes down to the underworld. And Izanagi goes down, and it's the same thing. He wants to bring her back, but he has an unsuccessful journey as well, and he gets actually chased out of the underworld. Wow! Um, but it's the same pattern. This is this is a different, slightly different variation on the same pattern. But this is a story in the Bible where a wife is not allowed to look back. So in this case, the wife isn't allowed to look back. Do you guys happen to is know this Sodom story? and Gomorrah? Correct, Amundo. So that is the destruction of Sodom right there with the fire raining down from heaven, fire raining down, and Lot and his two daughters are escaping there because they've been told by an angel, hey, you better take your family and get out because Sodom is going to be destroyed. And don't look back. Nobody look back. If you look back, it will not go well for you. So, so Lot and his daughters are heading off. You can see them down the path. But Lot's wife, she can't bear it. She has to look back. She turns around. And do you know what happens to her? She turns to stone. And then don't the daughters try and bang their dad? <laughs> yes. She turns into a pillar of salt, actually, but, uh, which is just as bad. Here's, another, here's a medieval version from the Nuremberg Chronicles. You can see she's turned into a pillar of salt there. She's looking back at the uh, fire raining Looks down, like fire and brimstone. <laughs> well, the medieval painters were, you know, they had their own style. But you can see Lot is being led out by two daughters, or led out by an angel, sorry, and his two daughters are right next to him. Here's one more, uh, same, same pattern, two daughters. And you can see they're back in the kind of background in the far left, lower corner. The artist has told us. Lot's, Lot's wife. wife. <laughs> she turned into a pillar <laughs> of salt. Not very funny. It's kind of a scary. Actually, I had a Bible book when I was a kid. These are the kind of things that traumatize you when you're little that had pictures. It was a fantastic Bible book. Fantastic pictures. And uh, uh, I remember being scared of the picture of Lot's wife, you know, turned into a pillar of salt. I was like, wow, that was pretty traumatic. Um, so this one, those... That, I, that this oikotype that I just mentioned, once again, Japan, um, in the in the Bible, what's the one in the in Europe there? Yeah, well, that uh, <laughs> baby cast a drip. No, not looking back. I may be forgetting one manifestation of the oikotype, but it is across America. This one, and in fact, what? Oh, one's in Greece, one's in the Bible. That's what I'm showing. Um, that, that, that arrow that's pointing to the red, lowest part of the red Europe there, that's, uh, Greece, that's, yeah. that's the Greek, that's Orpheus and Eurydice. Right. Then the one, then there's one from the Bible then there's one from Japan and then it's all across America. And what's really interesting is there are more details in the native American versions of this myth than in the Orpheus and Eurydice story or in the Izanagi and Izanami story. It's almost like they have more of the story. So in the Native American tradition, the, the husband who goes down to retrieve his wife has to cross a bridge in a lot of these. I talk about this in Astro Theology for Life, has to cross a shaky bridge 
or sometimes it's a bridge that's just made out of a single rope. And while he's going across the bridge, an eagle will try and fly down and scare him. And if he falls into the water, he'll turn into a fish. But no, he makes it across. Then he gets to the land of the dead, and the dead are dancing. They're doing a special circular dance. So this relates to like the ghost dance. Um, you may have heard of the ghost dance that yep. when that happened in the 1800s, it was to renew the land and also to get rid of the invaders. But the, so there's a lot of details in the Native American versions, and there's lots of versions in the Native American tribes of this same pattern that are not present in the European or the Bible or the Japan pattern manifestation. So I think these all come from some very ancient source. Maybe that source was in the Americas because the Americas have more details of this myth. But how do you explain these very close similarities around the world? Well, I'm going to tell you that because they're all using the same system, they're using a common worldwide system of star myths. Oh, here's so now we go back to the I put this in to go back to baby Moses. Here's one more. All of these little details you can see. Someone's holding like a feather duster there, right behind mm -hmm. woman who's holding a flower. The holding of a flower, these are celestial clues. I believe these are celestial clues. Even the, even the figure who's got, I think it's a, her, her feet in the water there, she's in the shape of a different constellation. These are in the Nile River. What do you think would represent the river that the baby is pulled out of in the sky? The Milky Way? Milky Way, right. So now, that's right. And the Milky Way, by the way, is also the fire and brimstone that rains down on Sodom and Gomorrah oh. that Lot's wife is not supposed to look back at. So can you see my stars on the screen here? Yep. Right on. So um, this is how they kind of look in the sky. You know, the, the night sky is dark at night, and then the stars are light. But it's easier to see on the screen if I reverse that. But can you see the Milky Way there? Yep. And the Milky Way, you know, it's glorious if you can get out to a dark place and really see the Milky Way and see all these stars. But I'm going to reverse all the colors now. I know okay. it's... Um, you can still see the Milky Way there. You can see the Milky Way, but now everything that's bright is dark and everything that's dark is bright. So okay. all the stars are now black dots, but of course in the night sky they're shining light dots. So um, this is the region of the sky that I think we're talking about. So I'm going to show you a few constellations. Oh, there's the Milky Way, just in case everybody um, is not familiar with exactly what we're talking about. So it's within those two lines. That's where the Milky Way is. Back in the dark, you can see it there. There it is. Okay. So some constellations that are involved here. Scorpio. Oh. Scorpio is just now coming up into the into the sky in the uh, in the later hours, and Scorpio really dominates in the summer. Big, beautiful constellation, um, and it's a lot bigger in real life than it looks on the screen here. <laughs> um, it is a really glorious, big constellation, pretty easy to find, and very important in the myths. Right above Scorpio. This is a constellation not as many people know about. Super important constellation, Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus looks like a figure standing right on top of Scorpio. And 
The name Ophiuchus actually means serpent holder. He's holding a serpent, kind of like around his waist or something. Can you kind of see that? Yep. I bet Scorpio is the snake, isn't it? Yeah. So what happened to Eurydice? How did she die? Stood on the snake. Stepped on a snake, right? So Scorpio plays a snake. Scorpio plays a dragon. So well played, Darren. You're absolutely right. That's the snake. And if you read the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are thrown out of the Garden of Eden, Eve is told, yeah, there's a prophecy that's given. When God throws Adam and Eve out of the, first he throws Eve out, first he throws a serpent out, then he throws Eve out, then he throws Adam out, or this is the, that's the order that they're addressed. And when he, tells the woman, he says, you're going to have all these troubles. When you give birth, it's going to be very painful. You know, you're going to have to really travail to give birth. And however, your seed, the seed of the woman will step on the seed of the serpent so that the offspring of the serpent will bite his heel and your, your offspring will step on his head. Well, here we have the constellation Virgo. So Virgo is a, a, a constellation that looks like a woman, and actually she's lying on her back the way we see her in the northern hemisphere with her legs elevated and apart. You can see that Virgo could be imagined as a woman giving birth. Can you kind of see that? Yep, yep. I mean, if you've ever been present at a birth, that's the way the the you know the hospital room is set up. And you can see that Ophiuchus could be envisioned as her child that she gave birth to. That's the seed of the woman who's stepping on the seed of the serpent. You see that? Mm -hmm. But the seed of the serpent is is biting the heel of the seed of the woman from Genesis. That's in Genesis 3, uh, I think, verse 16. So also... Virgo could also be envisioned as giving birth to Scorpio instead. In different myths, Scorpio is who she gives birth to. Remember, why did, why did the parents of Maui throw Maui in the sea foam? I don't remember. Because he had eight heads. Oh, that's right, yeah. In some versions of the story, Maui was born with eight heads. Well, Scorpio is a constellation that is halfway in the Milky Way. You see that? So Maui was the baby that was thrown into the sea foam. The ark, remember Moses was placed in a basket, an ark of bulrushes is what it said. Actually, Scorpio could also be envisioned as a boat or a little canoe or something. And and this, there's many myths where Scorpio plays a boat and Ophiuchus is a figure standing in the boat. In fact, there's a famous Norse myth where Thor goes fishing, and goes fishing with a Jotun. You know what a, a Jotun, like a giant, a frost giant. It's spelled with a J, but they pronounce their J's like a Y in Scandinavia. So J-O-T-U-N. Loki was actually a Jotun. And so the Jotun standing in the boat is actually Ophiuchus standing above Scorpio. And remember who I said Thor was? Um, we'll get to th- yeah. Thor, this is, Thor isn't Sagittarius. Thor is actually Hercules. So there's Hercules 
in the boat with the Jotuns. <laughs> the, the boat's down below. The Jotuns underneath. So Hercules, Thor is the constellation Hercules. But I wasn't supposed to show that yet. I got ahead of myself. So, okay, so we threw Maui into the sea. We put the baby in the basket in the sea. You may not be, you may be looking at this and saying, come on, really? Is that a basket in the ocean? The, the pattern is very, very um, distinct around the world. The baby is always put in a basket that's made out of reeds or of, you know, bulrushes, reeds or rushes, you know, like, like the kind of big grasses that grow up next to a swamp, like the big, you know, cattails. Because Scorpio kind of looks like a bundle of reeds or a bundle of, you know, bulrushes. Yeah. Virgo kind of looks like the, the person falling back down to hell too. Right. Well, so that's a very, that's a very good point. So the, the constellation Ophiuchus actually plays the gates of hell, the gates of Hades in a lot of myths. Ophiuchus can play a giant, but Ophiuchus could also play a door or a gate. And, and, and I find this around the world in these myths. And Ophiuchus could also play a house or a tent. You can see why it looks like a tent, right? Yeah. Or a tower. It could also be a tower. And so Virgo is on, she's falling back into the land of the realm of the dead there. But um, remember, Orpheus was not supposed to look back. Whoops, I was going backwards, sorry. So this is Sagittarius. Sagittarius is another extremely important constellation. Sagittarius, the way it's outlined here, looks like it's kind of walking in one direction and looking back in another direction. Can you kind of envision yeah, that? Yeah, totally. Almost like that, it's going to almost like it's going to shoot a bow at the snake. Yeah, so in Sagittarius does shoot a bow at the snake in a lot of myths. So there are myths where Apollo fights a dragon. Apollo is a god of archery. Well, that's that's Sagittarius fighting Scorpio. But in this myth of not looking back, that Sagittarius is the one who should not look back. So Lot's wife looks back, she gets turned into a pillar of salt. Once again, the Milky Way looks kind of like a fire and brimstone. She's looking back towards the destruction. But um, this is how these patterns work. And so Scorpio and Sagittarius and Ophiuchus are right next to basically the brightest part of the Milky Way. And so they show up in some very important myths often having to do with being on the edge of the water or the edge of a river, the edge of a pool, the edge of uh, ocean, you know, like Maui was thrown into the, the sea foam right at the edge of the ocean. And then Maui was actually pulled up out of the water by his powerful grandfather, whose name was Tama, T-A-M-A. -A. It's actually, it's a long Polynesian name and I don't want to say it wrong. So I'll just say Tama right now, but he's pulled Tama up Tua? out of the water. No, it's Tommy Nua, Tama. Oh, I'm not going to attempt it. It's okay, it. it's okay. I just watch Moana a lot, so. Okay, right on. I haven't actually watched it, because I don't want to get the wrong picture of Maui. Although I hear it's really good. Hey, hey, you're but, welcome. <laughs> I haven't seen it. But he's pulled up out of the water by his great, powerful ancestor, Tama. And so a baby who is lifted up is often lifted up by Hercules. So in this myth of Maui, it's his grandfather is played by the mighty constellation Hercules, and I'll show you why. Because right in front of Hercules, 
And this is just coming into view at this time of year as we record this in May of 2019. Corona Borealis and Ophiuchus and Hercules are just starting to rise in the east around like 9, 10, 11 p.m. But Corona Borealis is right in front of Hercules and it's it means the northern crown. Corona means crown. Borealis means of the north. So Corona Borealis is the northern crown. And uh, Hercules can be envisioned as grasping the northern crown. If you just imagine one additional connecting line, you see that? Yeah. yeah. So my argument is that there are many myths, and I've, you know, I've seen enough patterns to say I am convinced the evidence is overwhelming that Hercules grasps the northern crown in a lot of myths, and that's the baby that he's pulling up out of the water, which is not something you you wouldn't look at the northern crown and say oh yeah that looks like a baby but around the world we find patterns where a hercules figure is pulling up a baby that represents that is connected to the northern crown and so that i would argue is very strong evidence that these myths were not just invented separately from one another in other words, somebody could say, oh, yeah, Dave is arguing that we've got this oikotype showing up in Japan. We've got it showing up in Maui. I mean, in, in the cultures of the Pacific with the Maui myths, we've got it showing up in the Bible. We've got it showing up in India. They just came up with it themselves independently because they all look at the same stars. I'm here to tell you right now, these constellations aren't super easy to to see unless you know what you're looking for there's no way you'd come up with the same stories either and they come up with the same pattern over and over now i'm going to show you some evidence that hercules grasps a crown so here's a close-up of hercules there's the northern crown can everyone see it in the lower right there yep which also could look like a basket really right it could look like a basket that's for the very for the bird that's about to get fucked up very true yeah, <laughs> because he's sword. holding a big sword, right? It could also be a necklace. It plays a necklace in a lot of myths. Loki actually steals uh, a necklace belonging to Odin's wife uh, in one of the Norse myths. So I believe it's that necklace right there. But remember, Hercules can be envisioned as grasping the, the northern crown. I, I added this line. That's my argument. Now let's look at Hercules. This is an ancient Greek vase, or hydria. I think this is a this type of pottery is called a hydria because it was for pouring out water, and that's the hero whose name in ancient Greece was actually Heracles. Heracles, the the Roman or Latin version of his name is Hercules. But can you see that he's in a similar posture to the constellation we just looked at? Yep. He's got one leg way back, and let's go back to. Hercules has one leg way back. Yeah. He's got a weapon overhead, weapon overhead, arm, one arm up. And Bend what's he doing elbow. with his other arm? Grabbing that dude by the throat. Well, you would think he would be grabbing it by the throat, but look up above that guy's helmet. Now zoom in. Can you see a little hand there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. What's the shape of that guy's helmet's crest? The crown. It's like an arc, right? We see this again and again in ancient artwork. So this isn't just Dave making this up. 
here we have a Hercules figure grasping an arc-shaped crest. Looks like and it was, looks like it was leg day too. Yeah, well, you know, they, they, those guys had really good like squat racks, so they could really squat like five hundred and fifty pounds, I think. So, um, yeah, you probably needed for that kind of combat where his shield is bashing up against the other guy, yeah. you know, like trying yeah. to get through. They probably got pretty, uh, pretty bulky. I mean, I think those Greek warriors were pretty. Oh yeah, they were mountains, yeah. mountains of muscle. Anyway. There you go. Huh. I'm arguing, and in fact, there's more details. Hercules or Heracles, he is usually has a full beard, right? A big square-shaped beard. What's the shape of the head of the constellation Hercules in the heavens? And a square shape, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, he often wears over his head the lion skin. You see that? To make his head even more square and like he has a mane all the way around. Hercules figures in myth will often have that kind of beard, a full beard. Although it's not always a male figure. Sometimes Hercules, all these constellations play different characters. Sometimes they play a male character. Sometimes they play a female character in these myths around the world. I'm going to show you a few more. Here he is grasping a crest again. Leg way out to the back. One leg extended way out to the back, right? He's holding a crest oh, all yeah, the way over on the again, right man. side. Yeah. There's the crest. He's holding it with his hand. But look at this one. Here's Heracles. Now he's not fighting a warrior. He's encountering a god named Achelous, or um, a river god, a river deity. I'm not exactly sure. I think that river, I don't think he's, it looks like the god is puking there, but I think that's a river flowing out of his mouth. Not sure what the ancient artist was showing us there, but look at how the Hercules figure, or Heracles, is in the same outline is the constellation Hercules, right? His legs are in the same posture. He's got his club up over his head, right? Yeah. And what's he doing? He's holding a thing that's shaped like an arc. In other words, the horn of the river god is the arc-shaped thing. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. So anyway, these myths are based on the stars. So that's why the same figure in different mythologies will have the same characteristics. A figure who is based on Hercules will usually be the figure who's going to wield the most powerful weapon, the god who has the most powerful weapon, which is usually the thunderbolt. So Zeus here, you see Zeus up there in the top picture? Mm -hmm. The ancient artist has even written Zeus for us, so we know it's Zeus. He's got a thunderbolt. Look at the posture that he's in. He is in the exact posture of the constellation Hercules. Hmm. In fact, I would argue he's fighting against an Ophiuchus figure. You see the serpents there? Yeah. Ophiuchus holds serpents, right? Is that Quasimodo down below? Yeah, so down below, that is actually from a Maya codex. What's a codex? I believe it's actually... Um, I don't think it's Quetzalcoatl. Um, but Quetzalcoatl is actually a uh, an Aztec name for a god who's called Gukumats in the Maya, I'm pretty sure. But um, but that god, Gukumats, I would associate with Ophiuchus. This is a god who's known as um, Heart of Sky, who's also known as um, Sudden Thunderbolt, 
or one thunderbolt. So he's the thunderbolt god of the Maya. And can you see that he's depicted in the exact same physical body posture to line up with yeah. the constellation Hercules? Yeah. It's just reversed. Yeah. The artist has chosen to have him facing to the left, but that is clearly the constellation Hercules, and he's holding some kind of a weapon, possibly a thunderbolt weapon, because he's a Hercules figure. He even has a kind of square-shaped headdress to make his head kind of shaped like the constellation. Am I wrong? No, no, it's, that's what it so, seems like. Yeah. So here we have, this is why, these. what I'm saying is these gods and these figures in myth are based on an, a common celestial pattern. And if I showed you these two things and you were a professor of history or art history or mythology, you would have a hard time explaining this because this is a piece of artwork up at the top from ancient Greece. This is a piece of artwork from the Maya of Central America, of the Yucatan and uh, Guatemala area, and what's today Mexico and Guatemala. How did they? How are they using the exact same pattern for a thunderbolt god? Because they're based on the stars. Either that, or the Greeks accidentally took a trip over to the Maya, but that doesn't really work because the time frame, or maybe the Maya influenced the Greeks, but. Either that or they came from a common ancestor. I think it's from a common ancestor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, could, we could come up with lots of different explanations, but I believe this evidence, this is worldwide, and the amount of evidence is simply overwhelming. And nobody's put this together before, right? Really? Well, no. Not in People this way, anyway. People have put it together. This is... David Warner but, Matheson. Well, but I'm building on the work. Plato in ancient Greece, I think, hints at these things. Aristotle... Some other ancients hint at it. Plutarch. Yeah, um, but they, they wouldn't have known the global scale of it back then. They, but they didn't know the global scale of it. So that and also the way you outline the constellations is going to be important. And so I, the, I've talked about it before, but H.A. Ray, his outlining system, turns out it matches right up with the ancient artwork. His H.A. Uh, Ray is the author who wrote the Curious George books. And that fits in better than the current, the contemporary, <clears throat> contemporary constellation art, right? Yeah. The contemporary is awful. I have some examples later on we could get to, but I don't want to just do a slideshow with you guys. I want to, you know, talk about it. But, but it's important to kind of show it. But the H.A. Ray, I would say the H.A. Ray system, he never, to my knowledge, talked about how this matches up with the ancient myths. But it's like he gave us the Rosetta Stone almost with his outlining system. Because with his outlining system, I happened to grow up with that outlining system. My parents got me the H.A. Ray books on the stars when I was very little. That's how I've always envisioned them. And then when I started to, and I wasn't out looking for this, I was taking the Bible literally. But when I read Hamlet's Mill and, and got really fascinated by it, I started to see Oh, they're arguing that some of these Bible stories, like the story of Samson, or some of these events in the Revelation, book of the Revelation, are based on the stars. And I didn't want to accept that at first, but as a, the more I, I already knew a lot about the stars and I knew a lot about the Bible, I said, actually, their arguments are making a lot of sense here. So there have been people who have argued this, but the writers of Hamlet's Mill, they wrote in 1969, or their book was published in 1969. They didn't, I'm convinced they did not know the H.A. Ray outlining system, because a lot of their suggestions of what it could mean are completely 
<laughs> to put it kindly, wrong. Uh -huh. They were doing their best. They were seeing something is here, but they couldn't put it all together. H.A. Ray published that book in 1952. They wrote Hamlet's Mill in 1969. They could see, hey, there's these patterns echoing around the world. And remember, I told you, Max von Sydow's uh, father was writing about oikotypes in 1927. There, mm -hmm. were, there were people writing about these connections between the myths in the 1800s. In fact, when the Mesopotamian tablets were first dug up, and they found a flood myth in there that sounded exactly, it even had an ark in the, the Noah figure. He's not called Noah in the, he's called Utna Pishtim, but the Utna has a Noah sound to it. Na, Utna, Pishtim, and Noah are, the, the Noah figure in the Mesopotamian tablets releases birds to see if it's safe to go out of the ark. Well, what does that sound like? And these are from thousands of years before the Bible was thought to have been written. So when they first came across those tablets, I, I wrote a blog post about this. The, the translator, George Smith, he was this young guy who learned how to decipher the text. He became, he was a genius and he was deciphering them. And when he came across the Noah story, no one had ever, it, there was like two people in the world who could read this text. And he was trying to decipher all these tablets. And when he started to read the Noah story, he got so distraught that it, it's, it's said, I don't know if it's true or not, but he got so distraught, he started to run around excitedly and take all his clothes off. It's like he had a mental breakdown almost when he saw a Noah story in some tablets that were thousands of years earlier. This is in the 1800s in England. He knew he had come across something that was enormous. So in the 1800s, they were starting to say, wait a minute, as we learn more about the world myth, we're starting to see patterns pop up. So it's not like I'm the only one to have seen this, but I have taken the H.A. Ray outlines and said, wait a minute, I think this helps us to really decipher these myths. And, and so I can't stop writing about it. Like you asked yeah, at the beginning, yeah, yeah. I get 912 pages. I'm trying to show this. It's like, the, you know, the world doesn't accept this like you know i've, <laughs> I've so, sent so to professors they would they don't they don't read it no know? no maybe no, they read it but they don't say oh great we're going to change all our course yeah material so they might was, eventually i mean you're writing them like encyclopedias i could see a day well so yeah so what i would say to all the listeners is buy them for your local library or if you know someone who's a professor or you know someone's in college Try and get their library to buy it so that it's, you know, a resource for the college students to have. You don't have to buy it yourself. You can tell the library to buy it and they'll buy it. They've got a budget to buy books. That's a great idea. And that's the way I think, you know, you make it available to like college students and college professors. The amount of evidence is just overwhelming. I've just scratched the surface. I've got more. Oh, here we are in ancient India. I mean, I should turn off the slideshow so we can just talk. But this is um, a character a god who's named Hanuman. And Hanuman, I would argue, is another Hercules figure. Look at, he carries a giant mace. And in this case, he's picking up a mountain. He went, he had to, he had to save someone's life with a special herb. And they told him the mountain where it grew. And he got to the mountain and he said, hmm, I'm not sure which of these herbs it is, so I'll just bring the whole mountain. Well, you can see Hercules is reaching down towards Ophiuchus. That's why he's picking up a mountain. But he's carrying a giant mace. He's got his leg extended, just like Hercules figures do. So this is worldwide. And I could just go on 
the whole time showing you evidence, but you know, maybe we should, I should just pause and like, well, yeah, just to, well, I got a couple process. quick, yeah, I got a couple yeah. quick questions about it. So, so the, the icotypes from all over the world, the baby and the, and the person falling back to hell or whatever. And then you, you show that the, you know, the, the Milky Way was visible with, uh, you know, Ophiuchus and Hercules and the, the scorpion. So <clears throat> was there any other examples of the, the baby in, in the river? Like, is the baby being put in the Milky Way then? And as far as constellation goes, or is it that one where Hercules is pulling it out with the, in the basket? Like, right. So it, the baby, the baby is put into an arc among the reeds. That's Ophiuchus above Scorpio. Right. Okay. That's, that's yeah. my argument. Okay. And so Ophiuchus in that, in that, in that right. myth, it's, it's Scorpio. And then the other right. myth, Scorpio is, is, is the snake. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So yeah, okay, that, right, yeah. So it's a little confusing, but it's kind of but no, that makes all sense. right next that makes to sense. the Milky Way. Yeah, I forgot and about right, that part. Yeah. And the metaphor I say is it's kind of like you've got a certain number of actors, but they've got to play all these different roles and all these different myths. So sometimes you'll be watching a movie and you'll see an actor and you're like, wait a minute, I know her or I know him. Oh, 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 that was in this completely different movie wearing a completely different costume speaking in sometimes even a completely different ac accent, you know, taking on a totally different persona. But after a while, you recognize the actor. Well, it's the same thing with the myths. Ophiuchus could be Eurydice getting bitten right, on the right. foot by yeah. Scorpio, yeah. or it could be the seed of the woman in Genesis 3 stepping on the head of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the serpent stepping on or biting the seed of the woman's foot, right? It's the same actors the same constellations will play different roles but if once you start to know them then you go oh wait a minute next to a river yep okay getting bitten in the foot yep oh okay or being cast adrift in a river i'll bet you that's milky way so i'm going to look for the constellations next to the milky way and oh it's always reeds and it's an arc and by the way ophiuchus is kind of this boxy looking thing that's that's What's going on yeah. with, with, does that make sense? I can pull yeah, up. A no, 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 that, look, that makes sense. Yeah. Are you guys looking at me again? I, yep. I tried to unsure yep. myself. Yep. Looking at okay. your handsome face again. Hey guys. Um, so I, I actually have one more picture just to kind of close out from, uh, from the Americas. Let okay. Me yeah. That sounds good. Show you one more here on this. And go back. Am I sharing now? Sorry about the technical. Share screen. Yeah. Am I sharing? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, okay. Swing and oh, miss. That's Got okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let me show you. Here's, uh, this is from ancient India. This is the gate of the sun at Tiwanaku in Bolivia. Well, modern day, it's on the borders of Bolivia and Peru. Yep. This is amazing. Look at that thing. I mean, this may have been created with some precision technology. Look at those edges. Yeah. But the, the figure on there, this is called the gate of the sun. Remember I told you, uh, or I mentioned just briefly as I was just kind of machine gun pace throwing out a bunch of information, but I mentioned that Ophiuchus often plays a gate or a portal. Mm -hmm. And look at the figure above the gate of the sun. He's holding two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like Ophiuchus, two stabs or something. Yeah. yeah, this pattern. This is an artistic pattern that is found around the world. 
it's found in Europe, it's found in India, it's found in ancient Egypt. It's Ophiuchus holding these two whatevers. The whatevers change what he's holding on either side. But um, what's really interesting is, here's a little bit of a close-up. Can you see on the edges around that central figure, you see those little figures around the edges? Yep. Those little guys? They have like a big staring eye. You can look, look like Oompa Loompas. <laughs> well, I don't know what they are, but they're holding almost what looks like it might be a thunderbolt. You see how their rear leg is way extended and their heel is raised? And they oh, have a square yeah, shaped yeah, yeah. head. <clears throat> Boom. So there's Hercules and Ophiuchus again. Oh, look yeah, at the wow. posture of that guy. Yeah. And it's like so, they're surround. It's like they're surrounding Ophiuchus and yeah, and the constellation and this is he's above. Yeah, yeah. This is worldwide. This is ancient. This is this is indisputable. I would argue. It's. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Are you guys looking at me again? Am I back? Yep. yep yeah. You're back. Yeah. There. I mean, I think this is just. Uh, I would say the amount of evidence is at least compelling. But I would argue it's conclusive. It's like this is, I can fill up, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of pages now I've written about this. Each of my books is, you know, 500, 600, 900 pages showing this. This last one, that's 912, most recent one, 912 pages, has about 300 pictures and star charts in it to try and show these connections. So it may seem a little daunting, you know, to, to buy a 912 page book. So buy it for the library if you it's want. It's great for but, the coffee table. But yeah, but if you're really, especially <laughs> if because you really want to know it, you can do it in small. It's very easy to break into small bits, I find. You know, like you can read three pages at a time. So in that, in that sense, it's not daunting. It's not like you're picking it up and you got to get through 900 pages because it's kind of broke down. And you can sort of go through it myth by myth. Exactly. That is, that is true. And, and who doesn't love the myths? But see, I think the myths, we love the myths, but a lot of them are bizarre or, you know, really violent. And, and we often like expurgate that for the, the kids version of the myths. And then when you're an adult, you start reading some of the other Greek myths and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, they're based on the stars. So these, these metaphors that they're using where there's maybe some really bizarre things happening. It's usually because that is based on the constellations. Absolutely. Where do, you, where, where do you think you're going to go from here then? If you've got so much more content that I ever realized, I mean, I mean, even if you were to like, let's say you're even to expand on that, uh, the one you just went over with us with the Milky way and the baby and the, like, do you think you'd even find more of those too, if you kept searching? Oh, yeah. So these patterns are pretty well, you know, I mean, a lot of these patterns are known by, you know, even there's comparative mythology classes in, in right. universities where yeah. they talk about. But um, this really shows why they're all, yeah, know, why yeah, that exactly. pattern is showing up. Yeah. But to to, uh, to go a little deeper, so it's not just like, ooh, that's neat. These myths are based on the stars. What I think is really going on is they're talking about us. They're talking about these myths have a message for our life. They have a message. It's about like connecting with 
your authentic self, your uh, like your higher self. That's what some of the different traditions call it. Like in India, they talk about the higher self. And sometimes those kinds of terms can sound a little, uh, you new know, age overused yeah. or new agey, exactly. But it's actually something that each one of us has. We are all, we all have a subconscious. And our subconscious has like power that we don't even know about. Like there are things that your subconscious knows. It like taps into the subconscious of other people. But our conscious mind is not usually paying attention to our subconscious. So there's a lot of information that we are getting that our conscious mind is not getting or is not paying attention to, but it could if you get in touch with it. That's what I think these synchronicities are. It's your subconscious mind sometimes receiving signals from like the universe. It's like um, there are stories like true stories of people who woke up in the middle of the night and had some kind of a premonition and there's no way they could have known it, but they find out it was true. Like at that that exact moment, the person they were thinking about was in terrible danger or something. And this happens a lot. There's a, a, a story I wrote about in a blog post and I mentioned it in this most recent book a little bit too, but you should really read the book and you guys could have him on your show. There's a, a man named Norman Olestad, I think that's how he pronounces his last name. He's about our age. I think he's a couple years older than me or maybe one year older than me. And he grew up in L.A. and he was involved in a terrible plane crash and his father died. And the plane crashed into a mountain that was covered with snow and ice. Actually, outside of L.A. You don't think that there's mountains covered with snow and ice outside of L.A., but this was in February and there are some very high mountains outside of L.A., and uh, he had to, he was only 11 at the time. He had to make his way down the mountain by himself. And I don't want to give away the book. It's called Crazy for the Storm. You should read it. It's a great book. But he, he obviously successfully made his way down because he's writing the book. He's the only one who survived. He was 11 in the snow and ice. And these are like granite cliffs, you know, with ice chutes. He had to make his way down safely. When he finally got down kind of to more flat land, it was all covered with snow. The only way he was found is because a woman thought she had heard a plane crash, but she was too far away to hear. When she told that to the sheriff, oh, well, I thought I heard a plane crash, so I went out to start looking around. She was so far away, she couldn't have possibly heard it. It's like her subconscious somehow got the signal. <clears throat> and there's other things that happen in that book where his subconscious is doing stuff. But anyway, it is a powerful story about those kinds of things. I mean, our subconscious is tied into the universe in ways that are beyond our five physical senses is what I'm saying. And I believe we're like divided from it. We're divided from our subconscious. That's, that's the realm. Of, that's where the realm of the gods is. That's where the gods talk to you, or that's where your higher self, you can get in touch with your higher self. And that's what I think these myths are showing us how to get back in touch with ourself because we're like divided from ourself. Well, especially nowadays. I mean, imagine ancient uh, cultures must have had so much more connection to their subconscious and their higher self. I, I would think, I mean, a lot of them are just 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was distractions. They were back probably then playing too, Angry Birds too. <clears throat> you know, but there was so much more. You would think focus on the stars and on. You know, you just have more time to feel. I would think without being just so digitally distracted. Oh, I absolutely think that you know the digital distraction is like the the artificial sky to keep you from seeing the real sky. <laughs> but uh, you can get the app for your phone. Yeah, you have the sky the and the distraction all in one. Yeah, no, it can be helpful. Um, it's a tool, right? But actually, I've got a guest uh, recommendation for you. You could do a thirteen questions with him too. Okay. And he's, I think he lives in Canada. Have you heard of? Gabor Mate. Yeah. Gabor Mate. Yeah. Think, yeah, we almost got him on, but he he charges too much money to to come on. Oh, show, okay. So he's he wanted yeah. two grand. Yeah. Oh, really? On the podcast, like, look, buddy, we're gonna pro- we're gonna promote you, so we're not paying yeah, well, you to come well, anyway. on our show. So. Yeah. By the way, we're sending an invoice for fifty bucks after this show's over, <laughs> Dave. Just so. You- <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I didn't even discover his stuff until after this book came out, but just like the last week, I listened to a couple of podcasts. Yeah, he's talking yeah. about, he's talking about being divided from yourself. And yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what the myths are talking about. And, and it's pretty amazing. The things that he talks about how you, we get divided from ourselves in childhood. And I think it's, it's actually, you know, Graham said, well, maybe back in those days, they didn't get divided from themselves as much, and maybe they didn't, but I still think everyone has to find their true self. And it's not easy to do. It's like, I'm not giving away any secrets here because everyone who hears this information still has to do it. It's not like, just because I tell you, oh yeah, the myths tell you how to get in touch with your higher self or your true self doesn't mean, oh, everybody knows how to get in touch with their true self. It's like, you've got to, we've got to work at it. It's like disciplines like yoga or meditation or paying more attention to what your subconscious is telling you. But even in the most ancient myths of ancient Babylon, the Gilgamesh epic, I just put out a new video where I talk a little bit about it. I talk a lot more about it in this new book because I go through the myths of ancient Mesopotamia in this new book. But in the Gilgamesh epic, there's a twin. Gilgamesh has a twin. The twin's name is Enkidu. Enkidu. We don't know exactly how they pronounce their words, but usually. The scholars that I've listened to call him Enkidu. I always thought it was Enkidu. But anyway, Enkidu is like Gilgamesh's twin, but Enkidu is a wild man and Gilgamesh is a king. Well, I would argue those are one person. Whenever we have these twins in myths around the world, it's actually talking about... To like well, shadow kind archetype. Of, it's like we're, we're divided from ourselves. Yeah, we've got to get back in touch to become a full person. We've got to reconnect with the self that was lost and so here graham the baby that was cast away that's what i think he grows into moses or he grows into maui there's a part of ourselves just knocked my microphone a little bit hopefully i didn't make a loud noise there's a part of ourselves that's been cast away or left behind but that can grow into like a real like it's interesting because they all come back power. right all those babies come back yeah right? it's not do. like they, they just throw yeah. them away to die they they push them away to come back or to or to hide them for a while or something like it seems like that's the best way to disguise <clears throat> the origin of the baby is if somebody finds it in the river or a lake or whatever then who knows where it came from 
That's right. And it's, but I think it's actually talking about, so there's myths about a hidden God or a God who's been slain and he goes down into the underworld and then all the other gods are searching for him or her, or the, sometimes it's a goddess and she locks herself up inside of a rock, well, a, a cave, and she won't come back out. And then they have to trick her into coming back out. This is a pattern. There's another oikotype that's found around the world. That's talking about, I believe, our own, we have to try and get back in touch with the baby that's been cast adrift or the God that's been, that's down in the underworld. And you do that through things like meditation. That's when your subconscious can suddenly give you messages. If if we're always just have our mind, you know, chattering with our conscious mind and all the things that we have to do to drive a car or interact with other people or hold down a job, we're always in the conscious mind. We don't give our subconscious any time to talk to us. But so it's like when you first wake up in the morning, that's when you've been your subconscious has been had the, you know, brain all to itself. <laughs> your your conscious mind shut down. Had the that's when you're going to get that message. That's when you're going to wake up. Like I've had that experience where the night before I was trying to figure out a myth and I think and think and think and think about it. And I go to bed and the next morning, maybe not right when I wake up, I know it, but like I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh, that's what it, the, like the thing comes to me. It's like my mind was working on it all night long, but my conscious mind just had to shut up and go to sleep for a while. Yeah, and it's, it's that reflex. My subconscious gave it. Yeah, to me. it's that reflexation, uh, relaxation response. I think there was a book written about it in the seventies. I think Benson or something like that. And it happens to me. And I wake up last uh, couple days. I woke up thinking uh, the first thing coming to my mind was something relevant that I was forgetting, or something came to me that was an answer from studying the night before. Same thing. Are you getting to shave. No, just like bringing something to the studio or like, honestly, little things that you just need to remember that I would have forgotten. And it comes to me right when I wake up. Like, how does your brain know that that's what you need to know when you first wake up? You haven't even thought about your day yet. But there was a book, there was a great book written about it. uh, And it was about like these scientists and these guys that were struggling with problems and then they go have a shower and like, just like what you say and, and the answer comes. Well, see, I think it, it comes to us a lot when we're in, in the shower or like because it's like our subconscious is connected to our body as well. Like our body is taking in all this. Our body is like a giant array of sensors that's taking in all this data. Like our gut knows stuff, but we're not listening to it unless we like slow down and listen to it. So that, I think that is the myths are pointing us towards you know, I talk about the invisible realm, the realm of the gods, and that might be kind of difficult for some people to just jump right into and say, what are you talking about? The realm of the gods or the invisible realm? I think it's very real, but I think a way of understanding it is like our subconscious is connected to a realm that is full of possibility that's actually even beyond our senses. It's like our subconscious is connected to other people's subconsciouses, even beyond what we can see here or feel, you know, I, I was thinking about this today. It's kind of a, you know, a weird example, but when like a bunch of women are on a soccer team together or in uh, a job together, like a salon or something, their uh, cycles will all sync up. They're all synchronized. Oh, Jesus Christ, Dave. Yeah, sorry. 
Um, well, how's that happening? Not they don't, they don't know. They, they don't know yet. Their subconsciouses are connecting up. It, it's like our subconscious must connect to other people somehow. Yeah, they don't but even know the how, answer to that. They know what happens, but they don't know the answer. More for grads, baby. So I can baby. give you lots of other examples. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, our subconscious is like connected to the infinite realm. Yeah. Our subconscious can do can connect to stuff that that's we how you control the know. world. That's right. You can control people's subconscious. I'm not saying the subconscious is all full of light and rainbows and. Well, no, I think, I think world, Darren meant I think Darren meant through manifestation. Not you know, you're not talking about maybe a little both. Yeah. Well, I, think, I absolutely yeah. think that people try and control our subconsciouses through ritual, through gigantic, traumatizing rituals, right? A, a gigantic spectacle, like some of these traumatic news events that are suspicious, like the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. Definitely didn't happen the way exactly the way it's told to have happened. Like one guy with this gigantic arsenal was mowing down people from that distance. I'm sorry, it didn't happen that way. It's a spectacle. I've done some videos about that. And it's speaking right to our subconscious. So I mean Darren's right. It can control the world for good or for bad. It's kind of like it's like this is like Kung Fu. You can use it to defend people and um, you know stop oppression, or you can use it to be a bully and uh, put people down. It's a very powerful. This is this is um, you know this ancient wisdom. I think it was given as a blessing for our benefit, but it can certainly be abused by people who don't want you to know about its benefits. They just want to yeah. use it themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think it's, it's like it's been it's been hidden from us not because we're not supposed to know it, it's been hidden from us because some people don't want you to know kung fu. If they're the only guys in town who know that martial art, then they can pick a fight with anybody and win. Yeah, that's right. So what? Uh, so we've been talking about maybe meeting up down in Bryce Canyon in the spring. Yeah, that would be great. So Bryce Canyon is one of the best places in the United States, in North America, I guess, for stargazing because it's desert-like conditions. So there's a very little moisture in the air. So it's very crisp and clear and there's not lights for miles. So it would be great to do. I'm, I'm excited for you guys for the contact at the cabin that you guys are doing in Pagosa Springs in, uh, in a week. That's gonna be great. And if we can do one in Bryce Canyon next year, if people are excited about that, we can. I can pull out the powerful laser pointer and show some of these constellations. Because, you know, a lot of people, it took me a long time to be able to see different constellations. Like, the constellation Hercules is not easy to pick out. I can point it out to people, and then they can see it maybe for the first time. And we can talk about how they relate to the myths and... Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to look at doing a weekend next April. It's yeah. one of those two weekends me and you looked at. We'll make something happen. We'll start with a weekend and see what happens. Yeah, that will be great. We'll we'll do it when the moon is not interfering with the with the stars, which those new weekends moon, that we dark looked sky. at. Yeah, new moon, dark sky. It'll and, cross uh, over well with great. Graham C. Setian. <laughs> Graham oh, yeah. and you. You're going to have to see Seti if you can. Yeah, we'll summon, summon in some ships. No. Well, how are you doing that? 
Yeah, through uh, how are you doing it through your subconscious that's connected to the the realm of the gods? Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's how in these myths, like when Odysseus or somebody gets a message from the gods, how is he getting that? Because he's attuned. It's like it comes in through the gods act their way out through people. Or if you're uncomfortable with the term gods, you you know, the the Buddhist stories are all based on the stars too. But they don't really talk a lot about gods and things. But but going down and finding that, finding getting in touch with that higher self, getting in touch with your authentic self. That's what I think they're talking about. Yeah, anyway. yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Well, right on. We're gonna fast track this to the front of the line, buddy. We're gonna release it this Friday. <laughs> right on. And uh, yeah, I don't think that event to be a problem. I think uh, we had a lot of people. We have a few people already interested that. Uh, just from the last rumbling, so. Great, great. Well, I hope you guys have a fantastic contact at the cabin with with Randall. Um, you know, you guys are spreading a lot of, this is, I think, really important information to get out. You know, I really, I hope people uh, get fired up about the contact at the cabin and what Randall's doing and what Graham Hancock is doing and what Robert Schock is doing and what other writers are doing. Because we're discovering stuff that, I mean, I think it all ties together. We're not all necessarily in agreement on everything, but it all, it all ties, it's all pointing to the fact that uh, our ancient history is not, not necessarily what we've been taught. So Exactly. Hey, maybe one day we'll get you all in the same room. <laughs> That'd be great. Hash some great. stuff out. Right on, Dave. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, well, I'm sure it won't be long before I talk to you again. But uh, yeah. come back anytime, man. Right on. Thanks for doing what you guys do. It's awesome, really important. Buddy. Really important. And thanks for having me over to America. Yeah, thanks. You too, buddy. Okay, Take Dave. Care. Bye-bye. Been fun. Bye. You got the mouse? And that was a chat with David W. Matheson, friend Ooh. of the show. He's got a bunch of fans out there in America for sure. And uh, yeah, that was great. That was some sort of, I don't know, I didn't realize there were so many of those uh, similar archetypes. Uh, it'd be fantastic yeah. to be out in the desert looking at the stars with the crazy laser pointer, yeah. looking yeah. at them all. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. You can't beat it. Yeah. Looking at that, I think around April uh, 18th or so next year. Right on. Just a little weekend thing. Awesome. Yeah. Shoot down Saturday, Sunday, maybe yeah. Friday. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, uh, Thanks for helping. Thanks, uh, for, thanks for helping us do thanks this. Thanks for everything. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks to Dave for coming to the show and writing thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of great, uh, great resources for understanding the stars and some mythology. And like I said, that one book, the book we've got here in the studio, the volume one of this series, really does just read like uh, you can read just like the myths are great. You can just read it. Be good to read to the kids before bed. Anyway, uh, big thanks, Dave, for coming on the show. Big thanks to the supporters we got. If you're not a supporter, head over to grabamerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly through one of the options there or make a one-time donation or do something fantastic like that. Join the ranks of the great people that are supporting the show and helping us go, helping us grow. And uh, I think that's about it. If you do that, we'll give you the black budget fee to get a bunch more content. I think there's 30, 40 episodes in there right now, a bunch of Randall Carlson, a bunch of other great stuff. And, uh, yeah, other than that, have some good vibes. Thanks for listening. 
and we will see you next week. of your life.